Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is December the 17th, 2021. Boy, oh boy, Christmas is just about a week away, and I thank all of you for joining me tonight. I hope all is well in your world. Uh, With all the chaos, with all the madness, the terrible tornadoes, uh, everything Mother Nature could throw at us, uh, along with the uh, wackaloons in Washington, Wow. Where where do we turn? It's kind of like getting whipsawed. No matter which way you turn, uh, it's ugly. But we're going to persevere, and we're going to get through this. Uh, You know, I I really believe that sometimes things have to get so bad that nobody can ignore it any longer. It's kind of like having a leak in the roof. You know, the rains come, and there's a drip, 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 and maybe there's a spot on the floor, so you put a bucket there, and and you kind of ignore it, and pretty soon there's another spot that starts to leak when there's a rainstorm, and if you're not careful, the whole roof comes down, and once that happens, the whole building is in jeopardy of collapsing. We've been getting hammered by, by droplets and, 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 and everything else falling from the skies, uh, most of it the foolishness and corruption of our leaders, and, and the naivete and the laziness, frankly, of our fellow Americans, and we've got to wake up, and I think it's finally happening. What we've been witnessing in America over the past several decades, frankly, is a level of greed and incompetence and corruption that I never think, never thought would be possible. I think about a congressman by the name of Swalwell, who actually admits that he's been having a relationship with a Chinese spy, a woman linked to the Chinese um, government, and he's still in Congress, and he still has his committee assignments. And I think back to my days as an agent when, as one of my bosses so articulately and rationally and reasonably put it, he said that as federal agents, it was not enough that we did not engage in wrongdoing, that we must never even create the illusion of doing wrong. And this is far more than illusions of people doing wrong. You look at Biden's son, and you look at the nonsense that he has been perpetrating, and you look at how this has most likely influenced his own father, the president of the United States of America, and we see the results. And we see the results. And you have people in Congress and elsewhere who seem to have forgotten that they're supposed to look out for Americans, not corporations, not the immigrants, but Americans. So that's not to say I'm anti-immigrant, because that's kind of where we are today. If, God forbid, you suggest that we secure the border, you're a xenophobe and you're a terrible person and you're a hater. Uh, and in fact, I woke up during the night, Fox News was on, and a former official of the Trump administration who was handling immigration was being interviewed, and they asked him, the ACLU now claims that if Texas builds that border wall, which is what Texas is doing. Isn't that an example of xenophobia? Because that's what the ACLU claims it is, xenophobia. 
And the answer he gave was okay, and I was half asleep. Remember, I had woken up from a deep sleep. Um, but I, I was surprised that he didn't come back up with what really is the perfect answer, not, not because I've come up with this answer, but it's an irrefutable response that we all ought to be crafting for those days that we have discussions with our friends and neighbors, and we need to talk a little bit about that. Christmas is a week away. New Year's comes right on the heels of Christmas. We're going to be getting together with people, whether in person or virtually, one way or the other. We're going to be interacting with family, friends, neighbors, um, work associates. And we really need to get back into the ability of having honest conversations without attacking each other. The attacks and the insults are counterproductive, and frankly, I believe they're un-American. Freedom of speech doesn't mean you have the freedom to, to be a jerk about things. We're going to be blunt with you. When I write articles for Front Page Magazine, I sometimes will see responses where people refer to, and I've mentioned this in the past, they refer to Americans who subscribe to the Democrat Party by all sorts of insulting terminology. And I've heard the same kind of nonsense, by the way, being applied to Republicans. If you want to attack politicians, have at it. I mean, it's open season on politicians, folks. You know, we used to tell jokes, and I won't mention the ethnicity, but how many Idiots doesn't take the screw in a light bulb. Well, if you want to do it the right way, just substitute how many politicians, how many members of Congress doesn't take the screw in a light bulb. It works much better. It works much better, and it really makes the point. It really makes the point. I'm going to be mentioning some quotes today, and, and, and one of the quotes that I came up with, if I'm working on some articles for both Front Page Magazine and for U.S. Inc., U.S. Incorporated, and I came up with four quotes. I'm going to share them with you and, and, and think about these um, in, in the context of where we are today. But, but talking about the politicians, how many politicians does it take to screw in a light bulb? And, and I immediately come to think about something Plato said. It's amazing, Plato. How many years ago was that? Human nature doesn't change. It really doesn't. That's one of the constants, human nature. Plato said, one of the penalties for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by your inferiors. Do you see the, the flotsam and jetsam that's, that's in political office? And there are some exceptions, obviously. There are exceptions that prove the rule. But my goodness gracious, you look at Nancy Pelosi, you look at Bernie Sanders, you look at Chuck Schumer, you look at these characters. Uh, and some of them may well be intelligent. I know Chuck Schumer was a very bright high school student. One of my buddies... In fact, former colleague at the old INS went to school with him. He was one of those straight-A students. But he's a straight-A student, as far as I'm concerned, who lacks a moral compass, a moral rudder. And that's worse than being stupid. Abraham Lincoln imagined a country where, of the United States, our country, where it would be a country of the people, by the people, for the people. How is that the case when you look at what has been going on with immigration and other issues and no one, nobody in journalism seems to have the sense or perhaps the integrity to ask politicians, how are your proposals in the best interest of Americans? Don't tell me what the immigrants want. Don't tell me what corporate America wants. And we're going to get into corporate America shortly. How are your proposals in the best interest of the average American citizen? And, of course, the word citizenship is going out the window in New York. They just voted to allow non-citizens to vote in municipal elections. 
Why are we devaluing citizenship so much? It's outrageous. The idea of citizenship isn't to be xenophobic. It's about commitment. It's about loyalty. And I look at Chuck the Schmuck, and I look at Nancy Pelosi standing in front of that ice cream freezer and it's on a night when Americans didn't know if they'd be able to get food to feed their children. We can go without food. Not a big deal. We're adults. But imagine a parent with hungry children, stores closed, COVID was, was, was ramping up, and she's bragging about her you know, $15 or $20 a pint ice cream. No compassion, no loyalty to the people who put her in office. They have these exalted positions in their own imaginary kingdoms. Who could forget Barbara Boxer attacking a, a leader in the U.S. military when he called her ma'am instead of senator? She said, I don't want to be called senator. I, I don't want to be called ma'am. I want you to call me senator. Really? Like ma'am was an insult? I would have said, hey, Babs, what's the problem? They work for us, folks. They're civil servants. They're elected. God didn't put them on the throne although many of them act that way. So why should they be loyal to anybody? Because they don't feel loyalty. All they feel is what they want, their selfish needs, power, money, ego. Goodness gracious. Becoming a citizen means you're part of something that's much bigger than you, that you're a full participant in society. These people don't want us to be participants in society. They want to push us around uh, and and treat us like (laughs) we're we're the subservient ones. Wrong. Wrong. They work for us, and we need to remind them of that regularly and routinely. They are our employees, and when they fail to look out for us, they're being insubordinate. When they fail to attend town hall meetings and take the questions of the people who vote for them, they're being insubordinate. And in the private sector, if you're insubordinate, or even in government, you're going to be looking for a new job. Insubordination is a fireable offense. See you around the block, pal. You're out of here. Clean out your desk. And so you you look at who is in office and how rather than trying to figure out how to make things as, as, as good as they can for the average American, All they're concerned about is placating the people that bribe them, the major campaign contributors, without any regard whatsoever as to what harm it might do to America or Americans. How frequently do we see this garbage? And the false arguments, it's xenophobic to put up a border wall. No, it's not. You know, and I'm going to use a comparison, and you might find it helpful when you're having conversations, and I hope you have conversations this holiday season. First of all, the border wall, as I've said innumerable times, is not designed to stop anybody from entering the United States. If the purpose of the border wall was to block the entry of people from Latin America, then it would have sealed off the ports of entry, but the border wall doesn't seal off the ports of entry. That was not what Trump was doing when he ordered the wall to be constructed over the objections of the Republicans, by the way. For those of you that want to insult Democrats, there's lots of insults to be thrown on both sides of the aisle. The border wall is simply designed to make it much more difficult for aliens or anybody seeking entry or any cargo being brought into the country to evade the vetting process we conducted ports of entry. That's why it's there. We make sure that people don't just walk past the border wall. I remember one time when 
Lou Barletta was a member of Congress. Lou is a friend. He's running for governor in Pennsylvania. I hope he wins. Uh, I think he's a good guy. And I, I first met Lou when he was the mayor of a small town in Pennsylvania called Hazleton, where he had a problem when a Dominican drug gang set up shop in his community and were killing people. They hadn't had a murder in years, and suddenly they were having murders and violent crime and drugs being peddled in the schoolyard. And when he went to the Bush administration, George W., they gave him a tour of the Justice Department, as I recall, and they handed him a mug with a, a seal or a badge on it, and then they told Lou, Governor, uh, Mayor, you're on your own. We're not going to help you. He said, but these people are here illegally. They said, too bad. Because you see, George W. Bush did not want to secure the borders, enforce the laws, or do anything with immigration other than hand out amnesty. That's why his brother Jeb, when he ran for president, said that illegal immigration was an act of love. This isn't a left-right issue. Both parties are in on this little gag together. Trump was the first president to stand up and say, we're not going to allow this because we're hurting America and Americans. And there, you know, there were things Trump said and did that I don't agree with. I'm, I'm not all in on anybody. But my goodness, he was the first president in decades to understand how important sovereignty is, how important a secure country is. And that's why I believe he didn't get the kind of backing from many Republicans that he should have had from everybody. How can you be opposed to a secure border to make sure that criminals and terrorists and aliens with dangerous diseases or aliens who would take the jobs of Americans don't get into the United States? Because that's within the immigration laws. There's nothing in there about race or religion or ethnicity. And one of the little tricks that they play, and the ACLU is very good at this, I've debated them in many venues, and I've uh, been on the other side of the ACLU in, in federal trials, including the trial in federal court in Pennsylvania, over the um, uh, rules that were promulgated by uh, then-Mayor Barletta to punish people who knowingly hired illegal aliens or provided them with housing. He came up um, with, with a, you know, rulings in, in Hazleton that were challenged by the ACLU because they want open borders. This isn't the old ACLU. He came up with ordinances, and they came up with a lawsuit. But the ACLU immediately says, oh, my God, if you want to put up a border wall, you're a xenophobe. Why is it a xenophobe to make sure that everyone goes through a vetting process? Why is it being xenophobic to make sure that narcotics don't flood into America? Why is it xenophobic to try to protect the jobs and wages of hardworking Americans? <clears throat> That's what the laws are about, folks. So here's an analogy that I'd like you to try on your neighbors. Take it for a spin. See how it works out. If you go to the ballpark, football, baseball, I don't care, whatever sport, there are fences around the playing field, right? And you have to go through gates with a ticket, pay your admission, maybe go through a metal detector, and then take the seat that you're assigned based on the ticket that you purchased. The gates at the baseball park or the football stadium are the equivalent of ports of entry. Think about that analogy. Imagine if you had a baseball park or a football stadium with no gates, no fences. Come one, come all, flood on in, have a grand old time. What would that look like? You'd have chaos and anarchy, wouldn't you? So the people that run these businesses, and they are businesses, let's be honest what sports really is, 
put up the gates so they get their revenue, and they make sure that people go through a metal detector, and it's an orderly process that you take the appropriate seat that you're assigned based on the ticket that you've purchased, and everyone has a wonderful time at the ballpark. Is it anti-fan to put up gates and expect people to pay and, and go through a metal detector? Of course it isn't. That's how it works. You go to the movies, you, you pay for your ticket, and you take a seat. The ports of entry are similar to the gates at the baseball stadium. It's not anti-fan to have people go through the gates, and it's not anti-immigrant to expect people to go through ports of entry. Very similar, very simple analogy, and I defy the ACLU or any of their idiot adherents to tell me where I'm getting that wrong or where that analogy is unfair. Apparently, they want chaos. They want anarchy. Because this immigration system is a delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of clients to the immigration lawyers, people like the ACLU. Think about that analogy. Think about that. So we're told we have to give these people amnesty because they've been here and they want their share of the American dream. And one minute. How does it make sense when we already have the most generous immigration policies on the planet to say that anybody who wants to come to America, including criminals and terrorists and people with terrible communicable diseases, can come on in. Come one, come all, take the jobs that Americans need to support their families because we know you'll work for less money under worse conditions because that's what makes you exceptional. You're willing to work under exceptionally adverse conditions. So come one, come all. Let's turn America into a third-world country. Have we lost our collective minds? Every country imposes limits on how many can come in and under what circumstances they can't. Criminals, people that would take the jobs that citizens would want and so forth, are supposed to be kept out of the country to protect the citizens. So think about what we're witnessing. And immediately the ACLU says, Texas is going to build a border wall. There's xenophobes and their haters. Why? Chaos on the border is okay. People dying in the desert is okay. Alien smugglers charging through traffic and killing people is okay. Destroying the dignity of human beings and encouraging human trafficking and enabling a record level of narcotics to flood into America is acceptable. 100,000 opiate overdoses last year, folks. Now, some of it was from prescription drugs, granted. But much of the carnage is the result of fentanyl and other poisons that have been pumped across that border into the United States, and it's killing people, and it's destroying families and the futures of our children. And this is okay, and if you dare complain, you're a xenophobe. I remember when I was growing up in Brooklyn, my parents, uh, just about all my friends' parents, told us the same little thing, a little ditty. You know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Or words will never harm me, I guess, was the way it went. Why are we so concerned about what other people think about us? Do you know how many people have come up to me and said, Mr. Cutler, you take a strong position on immigration. Aren't you worried that people will call you xenophobe? And my answer is, I hope they do, because that will spark a discussion. And I'd like to see them hold up their end of that discussion once we get down to, as they used to say, brass tacks. There's nothing xenophobic about keeping criminals or terrorists out of the country or people with dangerous diseases. 
or people that would take the jobs that Americans need. Why in the world is that xenophobia? The other side throws the insults and makes the accusations, and most of the people on our side either fold like a cheap suit or get flustered and launch into personal attacks. I'm not going to do that, and we shouldn't be doing that. Sit down with your neighbors and explain it to them. Ask them, do you realize that the border wall is not designed to stop anybody from entering the United States? They're probably going to look at you wide-eyed and say, are you kidding me? And then you tell them, no, the border wall did not and does not block ports of entry. Isn't that the way people are supposed to come into the United States through a port of entry? When you go to the ballpark, don't you go through gates? Are those gates materially different from a port of entry? Is it anti-fan to expect people to pay for a ticket and go through a gate and make sure that they go through a metal detector? Because in this crazy era, we've got too many people running around with firearms and weapons. Simple. Nobody could possibly object that the ballpark requires fans to go through the gates, and why in the world would anybody be upset that we expect people visiting the United States to go through a port of entry? Similar process, similar purpose. When we get on airplanes, we go through TSA to keep criminals and terrorists and weapons off of airplanes. Would you get on an airplane if you saw people sneaking past TSA? I wouldn't. But yet we're being told that it's xenophobic if you're not willing to live among millions of foreign nationals who have no inherent right to be in the United States if they sneak past that that port of entry the way that we would worry about a passenger sneaking past TSA at the airport. That's all that we're talking about. We've got to be better at communicating our ideas. We've got to be better at learning how to really debate. Uh, My degree was in communications, arts, and sciences. I refer to it sometimes as my BA and BS, but really and truly communication skills are among the most essential that you could possibly acquire. I don't care what you do for a living. If you are unable to communicate effectively, you have a handicap. I don't care what work you do. We all have to communicate. And the better we can communicate, the more effectively we communicate, the better we are. And that's not screaming at somebody or being condescending or being insulting. And when I see people writing responses, oh, those Democrats, C-R-A-P-S, are you a child? Is that the best you can do? Seriously? The people that want open borders among your friends, most of them don't have an agenda. They've been misled. They think they're being fair. They think they're being compassionate. And as I mentioned last week, when we look for friends, we look for people who are compassionate. You don't want to be friends with someone who's a cold-hearted SOB, and you say, boy, that guy doesn't have a heart. And then I think about Nancy Pelosi. Now, there's a woman with no heart. She's got a freezer for a heart, doesn't she? A big ice cream freezer. Now, there's no compassion there. So don't tell me about the Democrats are all about their feelings. The only feelings that... that Nancy Pelosi has is, is feelings of, of, of greed and self-centeredness and, uh, and uh, uh, narcissism. Those are her feelings. I'm better than you, and you don't believe me? Look at my ice cream. I mean, really? So we as normal, rational adults should be able to easily push back against the nonsense. Of course, feelings come into the decisions that we make. 
If you get married, hopefully you did so because you love your, your intended spouse. If you buy a car, you probably bought it because you like it. Like is a feeling, isn't it? If you laugh at jokes, you're experiencing feelings. We, 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 we are people, we, we are sentient beings who have feelings. Our, our, our puppies have feelings. Why deny it? But the feelings apply to our side of the argument even more, I believe, than those that disagree with us. Why are there no feelings for American families that become homeless when, they, when these hardworking Americans, very often professionals, lose their jobs to foreign workers who come into the United States because of corporate greed, because of Silicon Valley, because of the politicians that are bought and paid for? Now, it's all well and good that Texas is building a border wall, but at the end of the day, Texas can't deport illegal aliens. So they're going to put people in jail for a year or two for trespassing or whatever. And then what happens? Well, they're going to turn them over to ICE. And what is ICE going to do? Nothing. Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas have made it clear that they have no interest in deporting aliens from the United States, even if they're criminals. So Texas is trying its best to help us, but at the end of the day, unless we get the laws enforced, these people will be here forever. And it seems as though Biden's goal was to inundate the immigration system, to overwhelm it, so that we bring everything to a grinding halt, and anybody who wants to come here can come here with nothing to fear. This is not in the best interest of America or Americans or lawful immigrants. So when people say, well, you're a xenophobe, ask them to explain it. Ask them to explain it. Ask them if they know what's in Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. And if they don't know, provide it to them. If you look at my articles, I very often provide that link. And if you want, go look it up. It's Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. It categorizes all the aliens who are to be kept out of the United States. Not a word about race, not a word about religion, not a word about ethnicity. It's aliens with dangerous communicable diseases aliens who are severely mentally ill, aliens who are criminals and terrorists and spies, aliens who've been deported before, aliens who lied on their applications for visas and so forth, which, by the way, to Mr. Mayorkas, the head of DHS, no big deal, he's already issued a policy statement that anybody who lies on an application for U.S. citizenship has nothing to fear because if we give them citizenship, we will not seek to take it away from them. Outrageous. The immigration laws are designed to keep out the criminals and the terrorists and the human traffickers and the drug smugglers, aliens who would become a public charge, or aliens who, if they work, would displace Americans, cause Americans to lose their jobs, or at the very least suffer wage suppression. Who could be opposed to that? But most Americans are clueless. And then they, politicians and the ACLU immediately jump up and they say, what they're doing is unconstitutional. Really? Article 4, Section 4 said the states are to be provided with a Republican form of government, the protection against invasion and domestic violence. I would argue that what we're witnessing is an invasion, but it's not just the Mexican border. So now that we've looked at that background, I've been writing articles most recently. I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine, Environmental Impact Study Must Precede Build Back Better, uh, and the subtitle was that the bill's immigration amnesty would devastate the U.S. ecology and the U.S. economy. Well, guess what? The, the publication, The Hill, it's a news publication that's online, 
just published a report yesterday. And what was the report? Well, the report was that Build Back Better basically is dead, and the immigration bill that was part of it is not appropriate. That's the real cool part of this, not appropriate. Uh, in fact, the, the Hill's article was entitled, let me read this to you, Senate Parliamentarian Rejects Democrats' Third Immigration Offer. And it begins by saying this, Senate Parliamentarian Elizabeth McDonough has rejected the third and most recent plan from Democrats for including immigration reform in the Build Back Better bill, telling senators that it doesn't meet the rules for what can be included in a budget measure bypassing the Senate's filibuster. The guidance is the latest setback for Democrats' hopes of including immigration reform in the spending bill. McDonough had previously rejected two plans from the Democrats that would have provided a pathway to citizenship for millions of immigrants. The third plan stopped short of that, aggravating some activists and progressives who would have granted 6.5 million foreign nationals a temporary parole status that would then give them five-year work and travel permits, which I feared would ultimately lead to giving them lawful status to the point where they could bring in family members. And the 6.5 million isn't a hard number. They never are. That's based on an estimate, or maybe more properly, a guesstimate by the Congressional Budget Office. They have no idea. And it's not as though, well, we've processed 6.5 million, the doors are closed. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not like you go to the airport and the airplane holds 232 people and they have 30, 232 passengers and they close the gate and they say the flight is full. No, it doesn't work that way. 6.5 could easily become 10.9, million. And it would just keep on going. Now, when Mallorca says that if you lie, we don't care, what's to prevent an alien from lying about when, or he, uh, when he, he or she actually came here? Because the proposal was that if they came prior to 2018, and there's no way to do interviews or field investigations. I discussed this last week. So there's nothing to prevent some alien from coming here eight months from now and claiming to have been here since 2008. No investigations, no interview. They just write down the information. As long as they give the right answers to the right questions, they're in. The $6.5 million could become anything. And then if they could bring their children here, they each claim four or five kids each on average, we suddenly have tens of millions of immigrants from all over the world. So, again, and this is the question no one seems to have ever asked anybody in the administration. Why is this good news for the average American citizen? Schools are overcrowded right now. Schools are strapped for cash. We've had all these problems with education because of COVID. And the Congressional Budget Office, back in 2006, I believe it was, estimated that it costs 20 to 40% more to educate kids who are not English proficient. Presumably, tens of millions of non-English proficient students would suddenly be showing up in American schools and they're going to need English as a second language. And what does that cost? And where is that money going to come from? From building new labs or providing early intervention to American children who have autism or other learning disabilities? How is that in the best interest of these struggling American kids, especially kids living in poverty? The wealthy could always take their kids to a private school. Ask Mr. Obama. But the kids that have to go to the public schools, those schools don't have the resources. What happens to them? 
You want to talk about social justice? Okay, let's talk about social justice. It's wonderful to say that everybody should have the opportunity to be whatever they want to be, but that starts with education. And if the educational system fails our kids, then guess what? They're not going to get to be that neuroscientist or that astrophysicist or that accountant or that doctor or that lawyer because the schools aren't equipping them to go to college and be successful. And what does this do to America? Well, ultimately, America goes down the hopper. America was built on the notion of being a meritocracy. If you can do well, you can excel and and succeed. If the educational system fails our children, and it's failing all too many kids, because it seems like the emphasis on education today is not education but indoctrination, then they are not going to be equipped to be the engineers and the computer programmers and the scientists and the chemists and the biologists and the physicists. And so if we look a generation into the future, America is in deep trouble. Our adversaries are ecstatic over this, and I'm sure that they're helping to fund all the lunacy because they want America to fail so they can take over the world. And we're not talking about you know, reasonable countries. We're talking about countries like Iran and China. These are dictatorships. These countries are nightmare countries. There's no human rights considerations here. And Americans have bought into this nonsense that because America had slaves back in 1619 that America can never redeem itself. Seriously? Every country on the planet back then just about uh, engaged in slavery. It was a different world. But you need to understand that. You need to put it into context. And I'm not, I'm not for any moment here trying to justify slavery. No, it's an abomination. It's outrageous. And it's, it's an atrocity. But all that I'm saying is to say that, well, if that's what happened 400 years ago, America can't be redeemed, so America needs to go away. To be replaced by what? China that has concentration camps? We have naive children who have no idea what's going on, and we have naive adults who pretty much buy almost anything. There was a philosopher by the name of H.L. Mencken who essentially said that no one ever lost money underestimating the intelligence of the average American. So when we have conversations with our neighbors, we need to have those conversations. The best way to attain social justice, folks, is to make certain that every American child lives in safety, lives in a wholesome environment with access to quality education. So every American can live out his or her dreams to the max. That's real social justice. If you watch Shark Tank, and I love Shark Tank, I'm not trying to give them a free plug, but I guess I am. Most of the people, most of the sharks, the the billionaires, the people who are worth hundreds of millions of dollars started from poverty. And it's kind of interesting because if you watch Shark Tank, it almost reminds me a little bit of the old What's My Line show, those of you old enough to remember that, with John uh, Charles Daly and Bennett Cerf and Arlene Francis, because the whole idea was they had to ask questions of people to try to figure out what they did for a living. Questions are where it's at questions that are not being asked of this administration that should be asked but again fundamentally how about asking the question how does this push for a massive amnesty program help the average american how does it coincide with the warnings and and, and, and findings of the 9-11 commission because the 9-11 commission was crystal clear that if it wasn't for multiple failures of the immigration system there would have been no terror attacks on 9-11 
and they identified immigration fraud and visa fraud and other immigration failings and other terror attacks they looked at in the decade leading up to the attacks of 9-11. Why is no one talking about 9-11? Why is no one talking about national security? Why is no one asking about how these amnesties would help the average American or the lawful immigrants who played by the rules, did everything they were supposed to do, and now they're finding that the criminals they were running from in their home country, no matter where that is, it's not just Latin America, because, again, human nature is human nature, they're now living among the people they were running from when they came to the United States. How is that in their best interest? Why isn't that question being asked of Jinsaki? Jinsaki stands there and spews all this nonsense, and she very rarely gets called on it. But while we're having Christmas dinner or, or a New Year's party, or if you're going to sit down and, and, and chat with people, don't make it adversarial. No one wants that. No one wants to engage in warfare for the holiday. But a, a rational conversation and just say, gee whiz, you know, with everything going on, we need to be more involved in government. Think of that Plato quote. And I love what Kennedy had to say. Kennedy said, let us not seek the Republican answer or the Democrat answer, but the right answer. Let us not seek to fix blame for the past. Think about 1619 Project, right? Let's not seek to fix the blame for the past. Let us accept our own responsibility for the future. Doesn't that make much more sense? And Kennedy, of course, was a Democrat. By today's standards, he'd be a conservative Republican, I suspect. And Kennedy also said that the cost of freedom is always high, but Americans have always paid it. And one path we shall never choose, and that is the path of surrender or submission. That's what we're doing when we allow ourselves to be intimidated by these political thugs. We need to stand up and say, no, you're not going to get away with that cheap shot. I'm going to call you on it. I was going to teach debate, and debate is at the essence of democracy. Freedom of speech leads to freedom of thought. Freedom of thought is essential for all of our freedoms. By the way, speaking about freedom of speech, consider what George Washington said. <clears throat> if the freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent, wait, we may lead like we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. Let me reread this. Forgive me, my tongue got stuck. If the freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent, we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. That's why this is so important, folks. Seize the opportunity to have calm conversations, not fights, not arguments. Nobody wants an argument. It's the holiday season. We've been through enough crap. But it's a thought-provoking conversation, and it's always great to end the conversation on a question because long after the people leave and they go back to their homes and they go back to work and they're walking the dog or they're stuck in traffic, a well-reasoned question will pop into their minds and it will force them to think and reconsider their positions. Questions are fabulous for that purpose. Questions are wonderful for that purpose. They provoke thought. And anything that we can do to provoke thought is a win. And this is about winning because the stakes could not be higher. We're fighting for the future of our country. We're fighting, therefore, for the future of our children and their children. Could the stakes possibly be higher? And look at the madness that we've been witnessing. We, we, we have the parliamentarian saying that 
they can't do this, but yet it turns around that there are members of Congress saying, well, maybe we don't have to listen to the parliamentarian. Maybe we can do an end run around the parliamentarian. Let's violate everything because we want this immigration bill. Why? Why aren't they fighting for Americans with the same fervor that they're fighting for illegal aliens? Someone needs to answer that question. Where is the benefit for the average American citizen? I want someone to get that answer to that question because I am mystified. I don't see any benefit coming to American citizens by flooding America with tens of millions of immigrants who shouldn't be here in the first place. And it's not a statement of xenophobia. It's a statement of reasonableness. It's about like Clint Eastwood said in the movies, you know, a man's got to know his limitations. Well, a country has to know its limitations. I've used the analogy before. I'll use it again. America is like a big lifeboat. If a lifeboat is filled to capacity and you try to take more people out of the water who are struggling and trying to get away from the shark, noble as that is, no one wants people eaten by sharks. But if you overload the lifeboat, it sinks and everyone's going to be eaten by the sharks. You see? We have to be adult and say, what are we actually able to do? You know, you, you watch the beauty contest. I, I haven't watched one in years, but I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch Miss America with my parents. And some, you know, pretty young lady would get up and they'd say, what's your platform? As though she's running for what? Position of emperor of the world? I'm going to end world hunger. And she gets a round of applause and no one ever says, how do you plan to do that? Well, I'm going to make a barbecue for everybody. I don't know. <laughs> no, she never said that. But, but that's what it sounds like. It's naive. We have to understand limitations. We have to understand that America could do so much and no more. And when we overwhelm America, then America falters and waiting in the wings of the likes of Russia, Iran, and China. I promise you that's not a happy ending by anyone's definition. So that's where we are. And we need to demand that answer. Why in the world are you putting the desires of illegal aliens ahead of what's in the best interest of our own citizens, of American children? Why would you do that? Who's greasing your palm? Who's blackmailing you? Think of Swalwell cavorting with a Chinese prostitute, allegedly. What is that about? And he's still in Congress. That blows my mind. If an agent was accused of that, that agent would be on the unemployment line so quickly that it would leave his or her head spinning, they might find themselves in front of a damn grand jury. But not in Congress. Congress is one big whorehouse, I swear to God. We've lost our minds as a country. The crazier it gets, the more they get away with it. Don't tell a small lie. Tell a big lie. Make it a bigger lie. You can't make this stuff up. Now, what's really remarkable is all these corporations that bought into Black Lives Matter. They bought into defund the police because it's fashionable. And after all, businessmen only can think about one thing, money, 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 money. More money, more money, get me more money. What do I have to say? What do I have to do? They're prostitutes, just like the politicians. Money, money, money. It's all I care about. We know the price of everything, the value of nothing. Money, money, money. Some major U.S. companies that set the standards for the world are basically going belly up companies like General Electric. I mean, it was the most solid stock, in, 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 you know, of all the blue chip stocks. 
They're, they're junk bond status at this point. Why? Money, money, money. Cost out. Make everything garbage. The cheaper we can make it, the better it is, because then we make more each unit. Never mind that what used to be a solid product is now crap. Reputation? What reputation? Do you think these people have any concerns about reputation? I, I mean, look at that collection of Flotsam and Jetson that leads corporations and, and leads in, in politics. It's a freak show. All they want is more money, no matter what, more money. Sell out America, have slave labor build our product. Who cares? We'll make more money. The average CEO in the 50s made anywhere from 30 to 50 times what the average employee made, and everybody was happy. And that was fine. Now the average CEO is making somewhere around 600 times what the average employee of that company earns. And it's still not enough. How many meals can you eat? How many suits can you wear? How many cars can you drive? How many airplanes can you own? How many mansions can you live in? I don't know, but I want more. I compare these bums to cancer. Cancer has an insatiable appetite for nutrients. And if you study how cancer functions, and having lost three of my closest family members to cancer, and I'm a cancer survivor, uh, I, I did take a hard look at it. And, and, and cancer secretes hormones so that the tumor envelops itself with a network of blood vessels and it bathes in the nutrients. It just gets big and fat and keeps on soaking up all the nutrients. That's why very often people who suffer from cancer have weight loss because the cancer is taking all the nutrients, starving off the healthy tissue, and the cancer, in a manner of speaking, becomes the most successful organ in the victim's body right up until the day the victim stops breathing, and then the cancer dies with its victim. The cancer gets buried. Death cures cancer. That's one way to look at it, I guess. Death cures cancer. Well, these bums have an insatiable appetite, not for nutrients, but wealth. And they don't care. They're shameless about it. You, you, you look at Bezos. Boy, Bezos almost sounds like a virus. You know, the Zika virus, the Bezos virus, sounds kind of similar. And he is a virus. So he launches New Shepard, which is fine. And Alan Shepard's daughter was on board the spacecraft, and that's fine. And then he has a cocktail party after to celebrate afterwards. And meanwhile, one of his warehouses collapses in a tornado. He didn't care about that. He just launched a rocket. The people who work for them, tough. If he was really a humanitarian, Bezos would have canceled that cocktail party or would have told the people that flew, yeah, go enjoy the drinks, have one on me. I've got to take care of the people that were injured or killed in my warehouse, in my operation. And he should have gone there to try to help those people. The guy has more money than most countries. You know, there was an amazing doctor, a researcher by the name of Jonas Salk. Jonas Salk, for those of you not familiar with the name, discovered a vaccine that would prevent polio. Polio was ravaging American children. Kids were winding up in iron lungs. They were dying. It was terrible. It was terrible. And Jonas Salk figured out a way to make a vaccine. And the pharmaceutical companies told Jonas Salk, if you patent this, you could be the wealthiest man on the planet. As, as I remember reading about it, Jonas Salk basically said, well, that's wonderful. Money is nice. But how much will the vaccine then cost? 
And they said, oh, it would become expensive. And he said, well, that would mean that poor children wouldn't be able to be vaccinated. Is that right? And, of course, nobody would give him a straight answer. And so Jonas Salk did something incredible. How much money he made off of the vaccine? And he injected himself first, by the way, took his own risk. And I believe he even injected members of his own family to prove it was safe. Jonas Salk said, no, this belongs to the world. I don't want a penny off of this. I just want to save children's lives. So everyone gets all excited. They get a, a tingle up their leg when they hear that Bezos has how many hundreds of billions or God knows what money. The numbers become meaningless after a while. The amount of money that Bezos gets on the interest on the holdings that he has is overwhelming. You can't spend it as fast as it's coming in. Right? So everyone gets all excited. He's so wealthy. Jonas Salk never made a fortune off of the vaccine. In fact, he didn't make anything off of his vaccine that saved a generation of children. You tell me who was the real hero, Bezos because of how much money he had or Jonas Salk because of how much money he didn't have. What do we value? What do we value? So all these companies said, oh, if we, if we say that we stand with Black Lives Matter, will we make more sales or more people buy our crap? So they all said, we stand with Black Lives Matter. And, of course, that meant defund the police. And now we've got the, the smash and grab robberies, and these stores are being decimated. And suddenly they're saying, you know, maybe we need the police to come here. We have adults who aren't adults anymore, folks. We have children wearing suits, running companies, and running, or maybe I should say ruining our country. What do you stand for? One of the guys I used to work with said to me, Mike, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And we've been witnessing our country falling and falling steeply because of lunacy, because people can't think for themselves. They want to do what's fashionable. They don't want anyone to say something negative about them. Maybe they'll get unfriended. I mean, and if you really think that, see, I don't even use Facebook. But if you really think that the friends you have on Facebook are real friends, call them up the next time you have a flat tire or a dead battery and see if they show up. You any friends I have? Self-absorbed clowns. You know, when I've traveled, I might take a photograph of my dinner and share it with my wife and my kids and say, ha, look at this great meal I'm having. And we would joke about it. And, and, and some of our kids will do that if they're on vacation or whatever. They'll send us a picture of their food or their hotel room. Well, that makes sense. They're, they're my children. They're, you know, it's family. But how many nincompoops put that kind of crap on Facebook so that their friends, quote, unquote, can see it? If you think thousands of people are holding their breath to see what you had for dinner last night, you're in dire need of psychiatric treatment. Not a psychologist, but a psychiatrist. They need to put you in a rubber room so you don't hurt yourself. It's time for the adults to take charge. The children have been screwing things up long enough. We as Americans have the right to have our voices heard. We as Americans have the right to seek redress of grievances. It's right in the Constitution. So if the ACLU want to throw the Constitution around, Let's do that. Let that game begin. Think about what George Washington said. The freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent, we may be led 
like sheep to the slaughter. Isn't that what's been happening? Years ago, my, my, my conservative buddies, um, and on many issues, I, you would say that I'm, I might be considered a liberal. I don't like labels. Labels are stupid, and they're wrong, and they're ill-conceived, because we're more than a, you know, a little person in a cubbyhole. Issue by issue, we may agree, we may disagree. And by the way, disagreeing is cool. I remember when I was a single young man, one of the worst things that happened was I dated this woman who always wanted to agree with me, no matter what it was. If it was snowing out and I said to her, I think I'm going to go put my flip-flops on, she would offer to buy me a pair if I couldn't find mine. Because she thought, I guess, that the key to a relationship is to always agree. Do you know how boring that gets very quickly? Sometimes disagreements, when they are properly discussed, can be invigorating, can be exciting, can be exhilarating, can be thought-provoking. We're entitled to disagree. When they see this nonsense, well, I wouldn't watch Fox News, they're too conservative. Well, let's watch all these different programs and see how other people think. Maybe they're wrong, maybe they're right, maybe it'll cause us to reconsider where we stand on issues. Are we that fragile and that fearful that someone may throw an idea at us that might cause us to think? God forbid, you want me to think? We need to challenge the people that disagree with us to consider what our position is. What harm could it do? Let me explain to you why I think that there's a better way of doing things. Not, let me tell you what an idiot you are. No, you don't do that. No one's going to listen to you. Be conciliatory. A little humor is really effective. I mean, my goodness, humor is so effective. Go online and watch the old Bob Hope monologues. He could devastate somebody with a one-liner and that little sideways glance into the camera. Boy, it was that gotcha moment. Johnny Carson kind of copied it. And those of you who may have watched The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, if you stop and think about it, was probably paying homage to Bob Hope every night because when he did his monologue, he wrapped up the monologue with an air swing with an imaginary golf club. And Bob Hope always used to bring a golf club with him on stage when he did the USO tours. A little humor. Let's not make everything life and death. Spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. But when you look at where we are and you look at the crazy stuff going on, I think things have gotten so bad that nobody can disagree anymore. Nobody can ignore it any longer. And by the way, Joe Biden has united America. I have to give the devil his due. Most Americans disagree with Joe Biden. See that? So we are starting to coalesce. We're starting to come together as Americans. We can agree on something. Right? We can agree on something, and what we can agree about is Joe Biden and his ineptitude, perhaps his corruption. Enough is enough. We're a great country with great people, and we get our strength from our diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of cultures. That's what makes America an exciting place. That's what makes New York an exciting place. But we should not be fearful of disagreeing in a way that's not confrontational. Nobody wants to be confronted. Nobody wants to go to a party and feel that they've been beaten up. That's not fun. What is fun is a conversation that's thought-provoking, using analogies, a little bit of humor perhaps. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard the story 
about these members of Congress that go on a junket to Europe, and they're on their way home, and it's a stormy night, and they're flying over the Atlantic, and all of a sudden the 747 that they're flying on starts bouncing around, and the captain gets on, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, this is the captain. I hate to tell you this, but one of our engines just uh, went out on us, so we're going to have to fly a little bit lower and a little bit slower, and we're going to be about an hour late getting into Kennedy International Airport, but there's nothing to worry about. The 747 is perfectly capable of flying on three engines. After all, it has four engines. So they look at each other. They say, gee, we hope this is okay, and they kind of reassure each other. Well, it doesn't take 45 minutes, and there's more noise and more jolting, and the captain comes on. He says, we've just lost another engine, this time on the right wing, not the left wing, but this plane is certified to fly on two engines, but we're going to now be two and a half hours late getting into Kennedy Airport, and as you'll notice, the water might seem a little bit closer because we've had to reduce altitude. And one congressman turns to the other, and he says, boy, oh, boy, I, I hope we'll be okay. And the other one says, yeah, I'm sure it's okay. What's the likelihood we're going to lose a third engine? And with that, more noise, more vibration. The captain gets on. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, we've passed the point of no return. It's actually closer to continue on towards the United States. But uh, we've now lost the third engine. We're flying on one engine uh, without any further problems. We'll, we, we should be just fine. And at that point, one member of Congress turns to the other and he says, oh, my gosh, I hope we don't lose that fourth engine. If we do, we'll be up here all night. Well, that's a typical Congress joke, you see. So there's all kinds of jokes like that that you can use to illustrate the, the stupidity of the people that we've elected to represent us, because as Plato said, that one of the penalties for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by your inferiors. And being involved in politics doesn't only mean running for office, folks. What it also means is that you have got to be involved with your neighbors. The highest position in this democratic republic of ours is not president, it's citizen. The one term that the lunatic left to want to erase. They can only succeed if we allow them. They have to get through us to continue this madness. We need to make sure that they understand that this has to stop. I ask you to please get involved, have those conversations with your neighbors, be part of what I call my bucket brigade of truth. Share my articles. Share a link to this podcast. And let's have honest conversations. That is what the First Amendment is all about. So as we celebrate the holidays, let's also make certain that we celebrate the First Amendment of the Constitution of these wonderful United States of America. I thank you for joining me. I hope that you all have a great weekend coming up, getting that last-minute Christmas shopping in. Stay well, be safe, and we'll see you next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. And please remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. Good night for now.